episode 117, Todd Palmer. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people-first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science. And today I am with Todd Palmer, who is a coach to entrepreneurial CEOs, author of the book From Suck to Success. He's a keynote speaker and has had over 25 years of experience as an entrepreneur and CEO and quite the life story that inspired his book and a lot of this discussion. We get pretty deep, pretty quick today. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So tell us your story and lead us to why you chose to talk ATV on this episode today. ATV, you know, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability is something that seems to be getting a lot more traction lately. And often people don't understand its real value. So for me, it was something I had to learn. In my story and my journey is, you know, I started as an entrepreneur at the age of 27. And I wanted to build a company so that I could have freedom and flexibility, so that I could have financial success, and that I could create a great life for my son and I back in the day. And I realized that during the first 10 years of the, of the business, that I was showing up with massive imposter syndrome. For me, my imposter syndrome was showing up as I had to be all things to all people all the time on all topics, which is pretty paralyzing. At least it was for me. So then as the business grew and I was trying to get it to scale, that the imposter syndrome would really inhibit my ability to show up transparent with my team, to show up vulnerable with my business, but vulnerable with my clients and my candidates. I owned a recruiting company, Diversified Industrial Staffing. And I also was having an incredibly difficult time showing up at home, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. So for me, why I want to talk about it today is I, I would like to have the vision that others won't hit the rock bottom I hit. My rock bottom was really simple, and I talk about it in my book, From Suck to Success, that I was 10 years into my journey. I was on a $2 million run rate, and I was $600,000 in debt. Due to my lack of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability, I refused to get help. I didn't ask for help. To, I, didn't, I wasn't learning the financial literacy that I needed to know as the CEO of my business and responsible for at one point, 24 people, internal employees, their families, plus the 600 employees we had working on site. I wasn't doing my due diligence because I didn't want anybody to know that you know, the emperor had no clothes. Hired a coach. He said, you've got to get real with your people. Start trusting your gut more. Start sharing with them. Stop operating in a vacuum in a silo. September 9th of 2006, I fired my entire company and I started over. And one of the first things I did to get authentic, transparent, and vulnerable is I started teaching my new staff uh, financial literacy. I started talking about the horror story of the business and the mistakes I made as the leader in the first interview with new candidates. The value of being ATV for me was really a twofold process for the business. We were able to pay off all the debt within eight years, which for me was a huge accomplishment, a big win. But also the business was able to grow. We hockey stick that business. It made the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing companies a crazy six times because I was more authentic, transparent, and vulnerable as the leader. It created psychological safety within my team to for them to show up and be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable. So for me, ATV is a huge part of the success I had as a CEO, and it's now a huge part of the things I teach my clients when I coach them as, as a coach and business therapist. 
Wow. What a story. And um, I bet when this was happening, you know, many years ago, uh, it feels like another lifetime probably, but you never thought, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you never thought at the time, wow, if I had this to redo, I'd probably do it all over. Because if not, if you didn't have this story, these things wouldn't be your reality now in what you get to do and where your like passion and just energy shines through because you went through it, you know? And I think, you know, there's so many listeners right now that are going through something that they're just like, why does my life suck? Why is this so terrible? And if all of us, you know, come to this like kind of reality of this is where the true stories come from that then catapult our lives and allow us to pay off all the debt and to be able to be ranked as these amazing companies. And we can never see it during the time, right? It feels like a different lifetime, but it's incredible to have guests like you that come out and say, you know, this true you know, very authentic story. And the only reason that we're able to do those things is because we went through it. And then that we're open enough to then be able to take those stories and and inspire other people. So thank you. And I just encourage anyone out there right now that is struggling, you know, you're you're on the journey of a story that's going to be turned around because you're going to work through it and be able to take this and and turn it into something beautiful. I want to tap into the imposter syndrome thing before we break down ATV, which is the authentic, transparent, and vulnerable components. But imposter syndrome is something that's talked about so much. It's kind of overused. I think I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that many people are like, yeah, I kind of know what that is, or I do know what that is. But I want to dig on that for just a minute in case there's listeners out there that we can give a shortcut right now maybe they're experiencing imposter syndrome on a light level, very light. Maybe they're experiencing it on an extreme all out level, which is, you know, what you had illustrated. But let's just talk about how that shows up. You know, if you are experiencing this, that, or this, let's hit it on the head now. So just give us some examples. For sure. So I like to piggyback off of what you just talked about. So the mess of my life, I didn't want to go out and talk to people about. I, I don't want to walk around saying I'm $600,000 in debt. I fired my entire company. I'm a complete screw up. My life sucks. Hence, I suck. Well, that is that is my imposter syndrome running my life. I don't want to show up and be real authentic and transparent because I'm telling myself I suck. The flip of that becomes my mess has become my message. My stories, the, the things I've learned now are a huge valuable resource for other people. So part of the, the colluding with my itty bitty shitty committee, which I, is kind of my, my coin for my imposter syndrome is for the imposter syndrome within me was that one, one version was I have to be all things to all people all the time. The secondary, secondary part of it is I can't tell anybody what a mess I am because then they're going to think less of me. That's also not true. I think we pick up on someone's authentic story. I had some clients who've gone through some 12 step programs, for example. And you've got to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable to kick an addiction. You've got to work through those things. But pride and ego are such a huge part of our imposter syndrome. I don't want to show up as my true authentic self because I don't think you're going to like me. When in the reality and part of the imposter syndrome is I already don't like myself and I'm afraid if I'm ATV with you, you won't like me. The miracle on the flip of that is if I show up as being authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, you're going to pick up on my genuineness. You're going to feel a human connection. We're going to have an energy exchange, which will allow us to have a greater connectivity. So the imposter syndrome is really a blocker to the connectivity we really crave from others. 
And when we're, you know, we're looking at it from a CEO perspective, it's a lot of measuring. It's a lot of, well, so that company is bigger than me. They must be better than I am. I, I, I'm going to put myself in a secondary position or I'm out at a function and I see this great CEO and his, his beautiful family. Boy, they must really have their act together because I'm not enough. They must know more than I do. So imposter syndrome shows up in multitude of different ways, but it ultimately prevents us from being our greatest self. Totally. You know, I was, uh, as you were sharing here, I love to do like an assessment, like a question or, Hey, ABC, which one are you like just a kind of level set and get us all in the same space before we start to talk solutions. So for all listeners, for you and I, Todd, in what ways are we posturing anything in our life? That I think that question right there is getting to the heart of imposter syndrome. If we have to overthink it, how, you know, overthinking how we're going to show up to please someone else or to look a certain way, I think that's the core, whether you're doing it at a light level or a deep level, what are we doing right now that, that is posturing, you know, how do you feel about that? Let's use social media as an example. On social media, you see that the 1% on either end, typically, you see the, the, the beautiful people doing beautiful things in beautiful ways, which is a, one photo in a 30-second time frame that really may not represent and be emblematic of what the, their life may really be like. Or you have the other side of it where the energy vampires and the drama queens live, and they put out all the worst stuff to then rally the troops to have people come and rescue them. So it's a lot of moving around in the drama triangle between hero, villain, and martyr, victim. And then you, you, you take a look at how we show up in regards to, again, what we put on social media. Sometimes people, people will drive a car they cannot afford to impress people. Sometimes people go into debt living in homes they cannot afford. It's a lot of what I want to show up in the world and I want people to, to create a narrative in their minds about me. We show up in that way with our families sometimes and how we show up in the things we put up with there. The flip of it is there's a part of imposter syndrome, which lives in the amygdala, which is partially to keep us safe. And some of the work I do with my clients, they say, well, I just want my imposter syndrome to go away. So here's the deal. Imposter syndrome will always live within all of us because at one point it was part of what kept us safe. Part of imposter syndrome is look both ways across the street. Part of imposter syndrome is don't put your finger in the light socket. If we recognize that if we let that part of, if we let the fears, insecurities, and threats of our lives drive our lives, it won't work. The cure, as I found, and I talked to my clients about, is imposter syndrome sitting in the car with you. If you let imposter syndrome drive the car of your life, then that, that's gonna, you're going to live a fear-based life. If you put imposter syndrome in the passenger seat and you take the wheel, imposter syndrome will still chirp at you. It will still sometimes tell you that you're not enough or that other people have things figured out or this person's better than you or that person's more successful than you. It's still going to be there. The goal with dealing with the imposter syndrome becomes it speaks to you less frequently. And when it does speak, it's a little bit quieter. And I didn't even plan to go down this uh, path of imposter syndrome, but I have one more question that we're going to really move on because I have so much to talk about. For the listener out there that's like, but Todd, what will they think? If I do show up like that, like, I mean, I've got hundreds of employees. I've got, you know, so many followers. Like, what would they think? How do you answer that? Part of what they, they think is none of my business is the first thing I would say to them. Secondarily, so let, let, let's take a look at music, for example. I, I just talking to somebody about this the other day. I'm a big fan of Dave Grohl. He's the drummer in Nirvana. He's now the lead singer of the Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl shows up as a WYSIWYG. 
What you see is what you get. He's like the guy who you want to be your neighbor. He'll make fun of himself. He'll sing disco songs at rock concerts. He just shows up. But in that authenticity, truly, if you peel back, that's part of his brand. And if we do great branding, great branding does two things. One, it draws in our ideal client, customer, or friend. Also repels our non-ideal customer or friend. So if you want to have an authentic, true life, if you're more authentic, it should drive people to you. Part of also is accepting, is a part of acceptance. You may, you're not going to be all things to all people all the time, and that's okay. That acceptance has to come from, first and foremost, from within you, and secondarily, that puts it out into the world. So I, ho- I hope that answers your question. It does. And you know, what What I was thinking is my response many times, um, I'm not perfect at all of this by any stretch, but I've gotten to the place that, you know, the core of all of this is I have to love myself and I have to forgive myself and I, and I have to accept myself for my journey and my story and just who I am. And you see people that show up and are so out there with their stories, like what you just did. And it takes a lot of core work first, because you have to love who you are. And then you start to realize it's like, I'm going to show up for who I am. And I really don't care what other people think, you know, and if we all come at it, you know, bottom line is if we all come at the world being curious, and we all come at the world, realizing that everyone every day is trying their best. And that just, you know, shifts everything truly. But uh, we kind of went off on a little soapbox here because I am very passionate about what you're sharing, but I want to get back to this ATV and let's make authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, which are words that are used a lot on leadership uh, conversations like this. Let's make them really real and let's first define them. I want you to do that. And let's understand the uniqueness of these three and then where they intersect. And then I'm going to ask some questions to dig in. So let me start by defining, and then if you could lead the narrative so I can make sure I I thread this all together for you and the listeners, that would be super helpful to me because I, like you, I can go on a tangent and get super passionate about things. So when we're we're authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, I'm going to go back to what you just talked about. It's inside-out work. It's inside-out work. I got to say that twice. Really, it's when I coach my clients, they talk about growing their businesses. I say the first first thing in the entire part about growing your business is we have to grow yourself through inside-out leadership. We lead ourselves first in order to lead others. So that's a big piece of being ATV as a themology. To be authentic, it's very much like you said, it's part of self-awareness, self-acceptance, and self-reflection. So I'm, this is who I am. I'm going to share these parts of me with you, and that comes down to a very important word, which is communication. There's a communication of the outside world, but there's also the communication with, with inside of us. During the pandemic, I dealt with this a lot with clients who, who their internal communication was, I don't have all the answers to all the problems in the business and I don't know where it's going to go. And I'm afraid if I say that, my staff will lose faith in me. The reality is your staff is filling in a narrative around whatever they're experiencing with you that you're letting them control because you're choosing not to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, and you're choosing not to communicate. So anybody who chooses to want to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, it starts with communication with yourself and then communicating to others, including sometimes saying, I don't have all the answers right now, and maybe even creating a group of people in your tribe to bounce ideas off of, to do a what-if exercise, what if this, what if that, what you know, from, from good to bad, so that you can clear the mechanism, that you can then lay out plans and ideas around the what if to, to move your life forward, but also move your business forward. 
I think one of the most powerful things that we can do as leaders is share with those around us when we don't know. Just like you said, that is something that I feel like is such a, a tipping point for building trust and building relationships, you know, through that authentic, transparent, vulnerable journey is I'm not sure, or I'm kind of nervous about this and let's do it together. Just so, so powerful. So thank you for, for making that point. This, this episode's getting real deep, (laughs) real deep guys. (laughs) So, So keep with us here. All right. So let's dig into authentic leadership and I love, you know, if you can share a story of someone that you work alongside, just illustrate what this looks like and how they show up on the daily as an authentic leader. Well, I think an authentic leader, if you want to go to a source for that, Jim Collins talks about it in his work and he calls it a level five leader. And it's the aspiration most leaders try to get to where we're leading from that true authentic self and and, and an authentic leader is a team first, me second leader. It's we over me. And I've got several client examples of people who just really, and I think it's because of the way I coach, I, they come, to, they, I, they gravitate, you know, go back to branding. They, they gravitate to me to, to, work, to work in a way that will allow them to deepen those experiences. And so when I think of an example from a client, and I, and I want to make sure I always, I don't want to violate any confidentiality. I think of a leader, his name is Tom, and he actually wrote, he actually did a testimonial video, video for me in my business at Extraordinary Advisors where he talked about he really had to lean into not away from difficult conversations because he was a, he's a leader who likes to be liked. He's an incredibly likable guy. But he had two people on his, his leadership team when we started working together that were not executing the job. And he had a real struggle with holding them accountable. And part of the mechanism for him was that nice people don't fire other people. That was his internal dialogue. We had to really work through that. He had one leader leave and he let one leader go. By leaning into, not away from uncomfortable conversations for him, but tied with around massive curiosity around why they were not doing the job, he then implemented very clear accountability including an accountability model with me where I held him accountable to holding them accountable. And that turned his business around. His first year of doing this, his revenue grew 70%. Best part about it is his profits grew 500%. And now he works three days a week. Wow. So I love how we got to authentic and we defined it. And really the the Tom story or the Tom habit of lean into difficult conversations illustrates authentic leadership. Let's do that with transparency. So. I don't know if it's a story that you'd like to share or a key habit on how, as a leader, we show up as a transparent leader. Well, you can't show up transparent until you choose to be authentic. So let's sequence this out clearly. We have to be authentic. In this. And when we're transparent, we're get, transparency is such a communication mechanism, at least as I've seen it. And when we're transparent, we talk from a very authentic place, going back to, I may not know all the answers. I think leaders have three ways to be transparent with their teams, and it all depends on the circumstance. Sometimes leaders have to lead from a transparent perspective where they collaborate with their teams and they build consensus. They get fresh ideas from their teams, and they sometimes are able to really drive the organization forward based on someone else's great idea. And the leader's like, hey, Bob, I love your idea. Your idea is better than my idea. And the, the way they can do that in a, in a room, for example, is leaders speak last. 
If you want to have it be a collaborative, transparent leader, you let everybody else put their ideas out there and you throw your idea out last. And the greatest thing, the, 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 like the key for all of them is if someone's got a better idea than yours and you've made, hey, I really like Sue's idea, then just say, you know, guys, I think this all makes sense. I really think we should look, look at going through Sue's process. I think her idea is the best one in the room. You never share that your idea wasn't the worst. So you say, in your, sometimes leaders have pride and ego. They can save a little face. The second way a leader can be transparent is to be able to throw their hands up and truly let the room lead them saying, I don't have any ideas. I don't have any answers. I need your help. Because I believe at the core of most good people is they want to be helpful to others. Third part is they can show up and they can either sell an idea or they can tell an idea. And that's often really hard for leaders because if they've been collaborative in a lot of the work they do, to move into a sale, a sell an idea, or give a directive and tell an idea, they get a little bit paralyzed. They get paralyzed because it's the team has been used to you collaborating. Now you're selling an idea that you basically already made a decision, or you're just simply going to tell a directive of something that needs to happen. And that's, that happened a lot during the COVID process where I had a lot of leaders, due to, because the companies were in chaos and crisis, they just had to tell their teams they used to collaborate with, this is the direction we're going to go. Here's why we're going to do it. If anybody has any real questions, let's put them out on the deal now. But we're, we're, I'm telling you, this is the way it's going to be because the, we, the team, you all need these things this way as I see it as a leader based upon banking relationships, based upon customer needs, based upon marketplace conditions. I'm telling you, this is what we're going to do. And they really struggled sometimes because they'd been so collaborative when times were good. So tying back to the upfront conversation that we dug into imposter syndrome, and then what we're talking about with transparency and you sharing, you know, leaders speaking last, letting the room lead and solve problems, not having to have the the last word or be right. It all goes back to what we were talking about with the prerequisite stuff, the core work of loving yourself, forgiving yourself, knowing yourself, believing in yourself so that you don't have to have these external validations or external things making you feel better, right? And that's where it ties in. It's like there's we've all been around the leader that has to, they're the solution. It's They're always talking. And it's because they have to have this like external validation of the work that they're doing, fulfilling, making them feel like they're important, right? Or we, we all have done it. We all have. But it goes back to the, the core work is why it's so important and why it's genius that you started with the imposter syndrome to really dig in on anywhere that we're posturing. And the reason why we're posturing is because we're covering something up that is broken inside of us that we haven't done the work to solve or, or to feel whole, right? So just tying that all together. What I've seen leaders will then, they'll double down on that and they will dub out, double down on being right. I have to be right. And I often say to them, is that the hill you want to die on? Because if you're wrong, you're going to die on that hill. Then we dig into why is it so important for them to be right? And this is the fascinating twist I'll often see with my clients. As we're digging into why it's so important for you to be right, they, it's like they get into the DeLorean, they go back to the future and it ties into something that happened either earlier in their career where somebody maybe took credit for work they did when they worked somewhere else or going back in time even further to their to their time in school or to their house of origin where they never felt seen, heard, known, or accepted. Then they, the only way they could do that is when they were right or they watched a parent who would die on the hill in a fight with a spouse to be right versus being satisfied versus being happy versus having contentment. So when when, when leaders behave that way, and I always say to them, I said, you know, it's not really the, the initiative of the sales drive you want to do 
or the marketing initiative you want to lay out or this this hiring program you want to lay out. It's much deeper. It's not what you think it is. It's ra- rarely when leaders are so fighting so passionately about something, it's it's not what we think it is. It's often tied back to being pri- pride and ego, tying back and I have to be right because when I'm right, I feel safe. Yep. So good. Thank you for making that point. And I want to dig into vulnerable for a minute. And then I have another question based on your expertise. And then um, we'll be shifting into wrapping up the show because this time is flying by vulnerability. I want you to share a best practice that leaders do in one-on-ones with their direct team members. That's an excellent way of practicing vulnerability on the regular with those that they directly lead. What does that look like? Oh my God. Great question. I wish more people would dig it. So, uh, so first of all, I have to give credit where credit is due. Big fan of uh, Brene Brown. Love that she's made vulnerability a safe thing in the world. But I, you know, and I think we talked about this before. I use a coach. His name is Danny Friedland. And one of the things that he's taught me when I'm leading my leaders to grow as leaders is to, before we go into having a vulnerable conversation with, with, an, with an employee, before we go into have a vulnerable conversation with, with a client or a vendor, Always start from a place of my part in this is this. How, my contribution to the current circumstances was this. And as a leader, we lead from there versus you did this, you, you did that, you let me down as an employee, you as a, as a vendor missed deadline. My part in this is. Because here's the value in that, is when the other party across the table or, or across the Zoom call from us, here's my, Todd's part in this is, they immediately drop their guard. Psychologically, they move into a softer space. They're, they're going to feel either empathy or sympathy for whatever my share is. When we, you know, the, I just I went through this with a leader this week who's going to have to terminate somebody. You know, she had a whole list of why this person has to go, and it made sense from an execution standpoint. What she was doing is she was layering up all the reasons to machine gun them as they they fired them out the door. What really I, we pivoted into is. Me as the leader, my part in this is I didn't give you clear directions at one point. Me as the leader is I maybe put you in the wrong seat on the team. Me as the leader is maybe I never should have hired you because I was really unclear on what the business needed and what I as a leader needed from you. So my, my fault as the leader is I have put you in a position now where I have to terminate you due to, due to either you, you, you get it, you want it, and you're not capable of doing it, or you're capable of it, but I put you in a position in a, in a spot that I knew you never really wanted. And so now you acted out and now you didn't execute. When we come from a spot of my part in this is the other part, again, whether it's a client, heck, use this with your kids, use this with your significant others. My part in this is allows for a much richer, authentic conversation. I love that. Taking ownership and illustrating that as a leader, it's amazing how that shifts culture. You know, organizations where you see leaders that that say something along those lines of my part in this is you watch how everyone else uh, starts to follow suit on quickly coming to the table when there's a mistake versus trying to cover it up because people don't feel safe to share when there's a problem. So that is just such a such a wonderful habit and exactly what I was trying to get to with a key takeaway there. So um, Todd, this has been awesome. I really didn't expect that we were going to go this deep. I feel like I had a little like soul moment in this conversation and a great way to start my day. I do want to do a little bonus piece here outside of ATV. Um, you have a lot of experience in recruiting talent. That's what you do on the daily. So tell us 
us what we need to know now on how to attract the best people for our teams, because it's a topic that is constantly coming in that, that we're all needing to know about. So let us know what we need to know. So when it comes to attracting talent, it's a twofold problem. First, we have to find a unique and a different way to recruit them. And then once we get them, we have to become an employer of choice. The data points are very clear around this. There are 7 million more jobs in the United States than there are people for them. Double down on further data points. The Bureau of Labor and Statistics indicates that we are at full employment in the United States because we're right around hovering around the 4% mark. By the end of the year, they're predicting it to be about 3.2%. Add in millennials are at over 11% unemployment rate. So if you're a company that's had Gen Xs or baby, baby boomers the, as they're retiring or transitioning out of your company, you think millennials are going to replace them? They're not. Lastly, we are at a labor participation number that is the lowest it's been in 52 years. So all the data points to that it's a candidate-controlled market. So for the employers who are listening who are trying to lowball people on wages, stop doing it. For those that know, know your marketplace, know what the work is that you need done and know what a fair market value is. I just gave a speech last week to a bunch of manufacturers and I dropped in three slides of where are the entry level employees today going if they're not coming to work in a, in a machine shop, a plastic injection shop, a, a manufacturer of some, sh some sort. Here's where they're going. Costco announced in February of this year that they're paying $15 an hour, $16 an hour in some marketplace. Second place they're going to work is they're going to work in Amazon. I have this slide. I absolutely adore this slide. It's a picture of a person that was taken by the Detroit News at an Amazon fulfillment center in Metro Detroit. The person has blue hair. They're making 15 bucks an hour, and their benefits are 100% employer paid. And the last slide I use to illustrate the point is in a candidate-controlled marketplace, you can go work at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A pays you $16.50 an hour. You get Sundays off, so if you're an NFL fan or a football fan, Great place for you to work. Sundays are now yours, and you get free Chick-fil-A. So that's your competition for the marketplace. You have to find different ways to recruit, and then once you get them in, you have to treat these employees like your greatest customer. Richard Branson's got a lot of memes and quotes about this. Re really, as leaders, we work for our employees, not for our customers. Dang. You know what? I know I'm in the right line of business when just you describing those brands and what they're doing has my hair standing up on my arms. It's just awesome. 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 So thank you. I hope, you know, those of you that are listeners, if you need a little bit more insight or a lot more insight, reach out to Todd. This is his world on helping to really stand out and who you attract and how you attract them. So Todd, it's been a joy. We're going to transition to what we call our lightning round, where we get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side of you. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change, and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. So these are always, you know, sometimes tough questions to just narrow down one on the answers, but um, what is your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? So I'd say a favorite recent read is a book written by my coach, Danny Friedland. 
MD, and the name of his book is called Leading Well From Within, and it really highlights the inside-out leadership techniques required not only to grow your business, but to grow your life. How about a favorite hobby when you're not working? Oh, my favorite hobby by far is baseball. I, I'm a big baseball nerd. I, I'm a big collector. And the crazy thing is that, you know, it, it, over 50 years old, I still play baseball probably 70 times a year. And how about a favorite vacation spot, Todd? So I live in Metro Detroit. And in the winter, I really love going to the Phoenix area. I love Arizona. I love going up to Sedona. I, I, I love the community. I, I really enjoy the people there, a lot of transplants. So, I, so I'm a big fan of Arizona. I think one of my secret dreams one day is I'd, I'd love to have the ability to spend my winters down in the Phoenix community. And then how can our listeners connect with you after the show? If any listener found value in our conversation, they want to learn more about my book, I'm happy to give you the first chapter for free. Simply go to my website for the book called From Suck to Success.com, From Suck to Success.com. Enter in your email and I'll shoot you a free, free chapter of the book. We talk a lot about ATV, a lot of things we've talked about on the show today. Um, for anybody who's currently interested in, in you're interested in having you come as a speaker or you're looking for a coach, you can reach me at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. I'm happy to set up a free call with you, talk about what's holding you back, what's got you stuck, what your imposter syndrome is like, and how can I be of service to you. So Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com is the best place to reach me. And here's my truth you can act on from Todd Palmer. Number one, evaluate how you are posturing. We all do it, but posturing in our lives is the core to imposter syndrome. So nip it in the bud, ASAP. Number two, a huge prerequisite for great leadership is self-acceptance. We must love ourselves before any of the leadership application stuff that we learn will actually stick. Number three, practice leaning into difficult conversations just do it more. Number four, how can we get better at leaders talk last? Let's get good at asking questions and being good at being a great listener. That is key to what we learned from Todd today. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.